1: Small and medium-sized enterprises are the engine behind the UK business market, but how do they manage to sustain a business while keeping a healthy work-life balance?
0: I think I've given myself permission to not work all the time, and that's, that's a very empowering decision to have made. My challenge at Virgin was to grow the business, but keep the culture keep that friendliness, that personality, that cheekiness, that warmth, that entrepreneurial spirit. And it was a huge challenge, but I loved it. Making that jump between being a large, small business to a small, large business is really significant.
1: Welcome listener to Beyond the Balance Sheet. I'm Ashley Bloom and I'm your host. In this podcast we're going to be talking to a load of business owners who tell us their best pieces of advice if you're starting a business and how you can use that advice to truly make a success of what you're doing this week we talked to linda moyer speaker mentor and customer service expert We had an amazing chat about Linda's experience working with high-profile businesses such as Virgin Atlantic and the London Olympic Games, leading them to develop extraordinary reputations for outstanding customer service. So Linda, welcome to the Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm so pleased you're able to join us as I'm so inspired by your journey and I can't wait to delve deeper. So to kick off, I would absolutely love to hear who you are, what you do, why do you do it?
0: Great, thank you. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. My name is Linda Moyer, and I'm a small business owner. My company is called Putney Red Limited, and my business is basically me (laughs) telling stories, uh, speaking at conferences, and helping businesses to improve their customer and employee experience. And this comes from my experience of working with some pretty cool organisations over my time when I did proper jobs as opposed to this one.
1: I really, really want to know how it all began for you. Kind of how did you actually kickstart your journey?
0: I suppose my journey as a small business owner started. So my very last grown up job, I should say, was I was part of the team that staged the London Olympic and Paralympic Games back in 2012, which I have to say feels now like an eternity ago. And I worked for the organising committee for nearly five years. And my job was to make sure that our nine and a half million spectators didn't just have a, a safe and good day at the Games, but had a memorable Brilliant day that was talked about forevermore. So that was my challenge, and the games I would say, looking back on them, were pretty successful. So when the games were over, I had to think about, well, what am I going to do next? So I, I thought I'd have a little sleep and then uh, wake up and think about what job I might do next. And what I found was people wanted to hear the story of how did we get those amazing volunteers. How did we get the organisation to run so well that even people who were super cynical about the London Olympics talk about it now with such fondness and happy memories? So more and more I was being invited to speak at events um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, And I found that the more organisations I went to visit, I found that the themes were exactly the same about how the culture that you create inside the organisation absolutely reflects in what your customers see. That's the lesson I learned when I worked for Richard Branson at Virgin Atlantic. And that's what I've always tried to take into my work. So for the last seven years or so, I've been working with lots of different organisations, large, small, public sector, private sector, helping them with their journey about getting a great employee experience and a great customer experience.
1: And you mentioned Richard Branson and working for him. And I think people would be so interested in hearing about that one phone call that kind of <laughs> changed your life, I guess. If you could tell me more about that.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you spotted that giant name drop there. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so to give you, the sh- I suppose, the short-ish version, I didn't go to university. I went straight from school and I worked for British Airways, where I did lots of entry level positions, I answered the phone, I did check in, I did all kinds of things. And that really taught me the importance of managing people well. So I suppose I've always had a bit of a passion around people and service. So so I, I was with British Airways for quite a long time. I left British Airways and then uh, became a, a HR director for air traffic control, just as they were moving out of the public sector into the private sector. Very interesting work. However, it wasn't really me. And air traffic control is now owned by various airlines. So I suppose I'd always kind of championed people and service. And I'd met Richard at a couple of events at air traffic control. And he always said to me, You're much more red than blue. You really should be in our team. So I was absolutely delighted when the opportunity came to lead the cabin crew at Virgin Atlantic. So I had managed people before, but never quite such vast numbers. And my job at Virgin was to double the size of the crew numbers from two and a half thousand people to five and a half thousand people. So it was vast numbers. And I suppose what I I learned from that, because I love learning, is making that jump between being a large, small business to a small, large business is really significant. And my challenge at Virgin was to grow the business, but keep the culture, keep that friendliness, that personality, that cheekiness, that warmth, that entrepreneurial spirit. And it was a huge challenge, but I loved it.
1: What is your business superpower? What is it that you do that nobody else does?
0: It's a great question, and thank you for asking it, because I sometimes feel, particularly as a female business person, that I suffer, as many of us do, from imposter syndrome and think, well, what do I do? You know, I, I haven't got a particular technical skill. I managed to get my microphone working, but, you know, so, so what is it I do? And I've come to realise that actually what I do is pretty blooming good, and it's that I tell stories... I listen, and I love hearing other people's stories. So I realise that my superpower is taking... I don't want to say I take complicated things and make them simple because that sounds patronising, but I love understanding the bigger picture and then I love engaging people with that and talking about it, listening to it, and helping people to see how they might be a, be a part of that. And I think the clue to that is, is telling stories. So when I do my talks now, I often sit in conferences and I see people with lots of PowerPoint slides with bullet points and arrows and boxes and all the rest of it. And I look at the audience all on their phones or having a little quiet sleep. And I like to spring up and I show lots of pictures, tell lots of stories, play some music, high energy. I think that really engages people.
1: Obviously, when you started your own business, because you had been working in leadership roles in these amazing, amazing companies, when you actually started your business, what did you find were the things that were keeping you awake at night, the problems that you wanted to solve, and you know, the biggest day-to-day issues that you're still finding yourself dealing with?
0: That's a really interesting question, particularly having come from a leadership role, if I'm honest. I found the level of administration a little bit shocking, and I suppose I hadn't been used to doing that myself. So I had to learn about doing my own VAT return. That was, uh, I wouldn't say it was interesting, but I finally got it sussed. So I guess I had to learn all those basics. And initially, that felt really time consuming, because what I wanted to do was spend my time going off meeting my clients, just listening to their stories, what I could do to help. That's where I wanted to do that bit and I seem to be spending a disproportionate amount of time with some of the administration that goes into uh, my little micro business. That was my big lesson and my my big shock, (laughs) especially with my superpower, which isn't very organised and administrative.
1: (laughs) I think that's so interesting because there are so many people who start a business with this idea of What they're good at, their superpower, and what they want their business to be. And I think a lot of people don't think about, as you say, the day to day administrative tasks that are just not, as a business owner, the stuff that you even imagine that you'd be doing. Um, And with that said, how do you maintain a healthy work life balance? Um, We have this phrase, which is find your freedom. And I think a lot of business owners are kind of all getting into business to find that freedom. So, how do you maintain that balance? I feel
0: like now that my business, well, prior to COVID, was doing incredibly well, I really had, for the first time in my life, found that, I'd found that balance and I was really happy with it because I could pick and choose the work. I did the work that interested me and it wasn't necessarily the the fanciest paid. It It was work that I thought where I could either learn something or help people or make a big difference. So I felt I absolutely had found that. I've learnt, I've just, you know, even now you still learn and I've learnt to be good at admin. I've learnt to love that spreadsheet. I've learnt to be not scared of asking for help with uh, some of that stuff. And if you find a great partner with your accountant, then that really can lift a huge burden. Yeah, so how do you find that freedom? I, I think you. I've think i given myself permission to not work all the time. And that's that's a very
1: empowering decision to have made that's amazing and i think a lot of people listening will be thinking about how to actually find that balance so i think giving yourself the time and allowing yourself to have that time is so important
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news
1: post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And when it comes to stepping back you keep mentioning how you just really really wanted to help people to listen to them is that what you would say is your personal why is that why you do what you do um and in your words what is that why
0: I, i am a people person and during lockdown where i found myself really bouncing around the walls so i went off and volunteered at our local food bank for three days and not because i mean partly because i wanted to help people who were in a a trickier situation than me, but mainly because I wanted to work with other people because I was going bonkers being at home. So I think that is my why. My why is people, but it's also learning. So I love it when I hear from a client who might be a health trust, a healthcare trust in the north of England. And I think, goodness me, what can I tell to them about? But when I talk about my stories, particularly about that connection between culture inside the organisation and the service then that's then offered, it seems to really resonate and they're kind enough to say they learn from me, but the secret is actually I'm learning from them <laughs> an awful lot as well. Sometimes it's about how not to do it and that's really good learning as well. So yeah, that's my why. It's partly people and it's a lot about learning as well.
1: If you had one piece of advice to give to somebody starting a new business or somebody who perhaps their journey has changed, they can't go to university, so they're doing something else. What would that advice be?
0: I think my advice would be, number one, do it, because I don't think there's ever been a better time to, for micro-businesses, as we're called, um, to get going. The second bit of advice is ask for help, and that help could be from professional organisations It could be from mates. It could be from finding a mentor or a coach. It doesn't have to be expensive help, but the more angles you get on your business, the more inputs you get, I think particularly at the start of your journey, the less likely you are to fall into some of the traps that there are for for small businesses. So I say that really positively though. I say go for it, but ask for help.
1: When it comes to you know, taking the plunge to actually set something up for yourself, what were the first steps that you took in doing so? You know, was it getting your branding right, your website right? Was it, you know, figuring out your proper business plan? What kind of actions did you take at at those sort of early stages? So
0: I mean, I wouldn't necessarily hold this up as the model way of doing it, because I found I, I slightly fell into this organically and then set up the business slightly on the hop. Um, after I, I because I was getting invited to do more and more bits and pieces of work, so so I started off as a sole trader, and then very quickly realised I, I needed you know I was actually a limited company, um, so I slightly did it the wrong way round. But I felt when when the business really hit the ground running, and I I'm not being paid to say this, but was when I got my accounting partner, because suddenly I had um, some structure. I felt like I'd become a grown-up business as opposed to looking at my bank account and trying to work out what was my money and what was the business's money. You know, so I, I suddenly felt like I got a bit of structure and process around. So I I think if I was doing it again, I would do that sooner rather than later. Um, things like the branding and the website, that that grew, that came slightly later for me, maybe because for me, reputationally, Most of my business comes from recommendations. So I get a lot of business through LinkedIn. I get a lot of people who've sat in an audience and then come up to me afterwards and say, can I come and talk to you about something? So I, I tend to get less kind of cold calling in my business and more about recommendations. So I think, so the way I did it was start, start first, then get the process in place and then some of the compute communication channels like my website, my branding, my social media channels, they all came a bit down the
1: line. It's really interesting because at Raffingers, our purpose is that we are excited by truly making an impact on the lives of our people and our clients. And we chose those words for a reason because for us, it's exactly as you say, it was so important to absolutely nail the culture. And in doing so, that will have a massive, massive impact on client experience. So just taking it back to what you're saying with regards to that, how important do you see culture as in building a positive client experience?
0: You know, no surprise. I'm going to say it's probably the most, one of the most important things a business can do. And because people often used to say to me, oh, Linda, people, that's all that soft stuff, isn't it? That's the stuff you do, the soft stuff. Well, I don't think there's anything soft at all about trying to get the culture right in an organisation. When I joined Virgin from British Airways and I looked at the the difference in the customer experience of the two airlines, people, customers of British Airways said that the service was very professional, very consistent, but it could sometimes be a bit formal and a bit by the book, a bit rule bound. When they looked at Virgin's service, They thought it was friendly, warm, sexy was one of the words they used, all kinds of things, but it was inconsistent. So what my challenge at Virgin was to pull a little bit of British Airways consistency, but not lose all those great iconic styles of friendliness, warmth, etc. So we came up with our service mantra, and we called it Brilliant Basics, Magic Touches. And we learned that before we... To deliver that to the customers, we had to deliver it inside the organisation. So that meant fixing some things for the cabin crew, fixing some of the rostering issues, some of the bugbears they had about the product, even some of the things about what time, you know, the uniform store isn't open at a time that suits me when I fly back early in the morning from New York. So we had to fix all those basics inside the organisation in order that our people could fix all those basics with our customers but we had to do it with a bit of personality and fun and flair, because that's the virgin way. And that was the magic touches. So that's my slightly long winded way of answering your question, which is, I think it's super important. And people sometimes say, yes, we want to be warm and friendly with our customers. And then you walk into the office, and it is the most unwarm and friendly place you've ever been into in your life. It just you, you can't do it. It's got to match.
1: And when you um, go into an office for the first time when you're speaking to a new client, what's the first thing you ask them? What is it that you're trying to find out so that you can kind of figure out where best to help them?
0: I often ask to speak to real people. Because, you know, it's one thing when the chief, executive, chief executives is showing you their marvellous net promoter scores or their wonderful employee engagement scores or whatever. I like to go and sort of, you know, sit by somebody who's on the phone and just chat to them about what's it really feel like to work here. Because I like to take my own sort of temperature check of what it's really like. And sometimes there's a disconnect and sometimes there's not. So, yeah. So I suppose there's not one killer question it's more using a bit of instinct and digging a little bit deeper than just what the management team might be might be telling me.
1: And do you find that it's more consistent or more inconsistent with regards to management versus, I guess, employees?
0: I think managers are consistently more optimistic. <laughs> um, Good answer. Which, which is, uh, I guess, not surprising. But it's not necessarily that they're miles apart. So sometimes when people talk about, you know, the kind of highs and lows are in the same place, but they might might not be quite at the, at the same level. But on the whole, organizations, certainly B2C organizations who I've experienced as a customer, the culture never surprises me. When I visited, uh, maybe I will name names. So let's do a good example. So um, I'm a big fan of Pret-a-Manger. Sorry, they're going through such a tough time at the moment. But when you go into a Pret store, generally you'll be greeted and someone will be keeping an eye at the back of the queue and making sure that no one's having to queue and, and bringing people forward. And, and when I met Pret-a-Manger, they are just an incredibly dynamic organisation and that the way they treat their people is very dynamic you know they all have breakfast together in store that the store manager does a morning kind of shout out briefing to try and build the energy for the day you know they really do reflect the style of service that you see on the on the shop floor so on the whole I guess I do see I, I use my customer instinct and uh, yeah you see the same thing inside the organization.
1: What would you say is next for your business? Where do you see yourself taking it in the next, I don't know, five years?
0: So, I mean, interesting, we live in interesting times. The obvious thing for me is that face-to-face uh, conference speaking has pretty well dried up. I have a couple of bookings and we are, you know, sub- touching everything wooden. As long as we don't see, uh, you know, a significant outbreak again of the virus, then we will be able to I mean, I don't know what conferences are going to look like with people sitting miles apart from each other. So the big growth for me is online speaking and pivoting, to use the current terminology, so that I can uh, manage uh, stories online. So I've done a, a few of those and I realise that some of the principles, things that I know I'm good at, still apply there's a different pacing that I need to learn. I think if you if you speak to people for more than ten minutes, then the, the discipline, everybody reaches for their phone. It's just too great. So I need to find more tools of getting my audience involved online. But yeah, the move to digital is the, the the thing I need to really concentrate on now.
1: I am I'm so interested in your story, and I think a lot of people can learn a lot about everything that you've said with regards to culture impacting customer service, because I think that really is the key. What an amazing conversation. I think really the best taking from that is how important people are to an exceptional client experience and customer experience. And also how there is so much that we can be learning from our clients and from our customers when we're having just day-to-day conversations with them and how important that is for personal growth. I also think it's worth noting that if you're struggling with coming up with an idea for a business or you've got an idea, just go for it because you don't have to go to university to become a business owner and you don't have to have crazy business administrative skills. You really can just be amazing with people, have a great idea and just do something really, really brilliant that you're passionate about. If you liked this episode, go have a listen to the rest of the series. We are Raffingers and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at Raffingers. Alternatively, you can check out our website, www.raffingers.co.uk. I've been your host, Ashley Bloom, and this has been Beyond the Balance Sheet.